This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am really excited to be joined by special guest Dane Brugler of The Athletic. Dane, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. We're really glad to have you. Thanks, Paul. Always, uh, always fun joining you. Uh, you know, you guys are all over this 365 days a year. So, um, yeah, it's good to uh, talk about these guys, especially now with the season about to start, kind of set the table about what we're looking for. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see how evaluations change throughout the course of the season and in the draft season. Um, so it's just fun right now to kind of set the table and tell everyone what to expect. Absolutely. And you've been putting out your positional preview shows. You've been put, I mean, your positional preview articles and your top big board. So that was a great time to get you on. Matt and I have been in the process of doing that. We have our two wide receiver shows next week, but we've been, we did multiple quarterback shows, multiple running back shows, a tight end show. It seems like a really deep offensive class. And from reading your most recent article with your overall big board, it seems like you kind of feel uh, similarly. So just kind of set the stage offensive prospect wise. Do you think it, it, it has the looks to be a pretty good year uh, next year's 2020 draft class. Uh, no question. I mean, <clears throat> you have to be encouraged by uh, the offense, the skilled players, the quarterbacks, uh, a, a lot of talent uh, and a lot of it's underclassmen. You know, we, we know that every year going in. So a lot can happen over the course of the season. Guys will emerge. Some guys won't live up the potential, but overall, um, you know, starting with the wide receiver class, uh, you have to be excited about, the potential of the, this talent in the upcoming junior class. Uh, just, you know, I, in my top 50 alone, there were eight wide receivers, all, all underclassmen. And so, and there, there's a few talented seniors in this group. We're talking about, you know, Colin Johnson, Tyler Johnson, uh, KJ Hill. So, I mean, there, there's plenty of wide receivers to choose from in this class. And uh, I think the fun thing maybe will be at the top of the class and determining who is the true number one wide receiver in this group, because for me, I, to start the year, it's LaVisca Chenault from Colorado. And I, I feel like I'm in a, on an island there. Uh, a lot of people are going Jerry Judy, which I certainly understand. Judy's awesome. He was, uh, what, number 13 on my list. And I taught 50, 12 or 13. Uh, C.D. Lamb, for me, was actually my number two, with Judy being my number three. But I have all three of those guys, Chenault, C.D. Lamb, and Jerry Judy, pretty closely rated. I think all three uh, can be, uh, all, all, all can be uh, studs at the next level. Yeah, absolutely. They all have a little bit of uniqueness to their game, and, and it's going to kind of be pick your poison a little bit in terms of maybe what the NFL team wants. Do they want the more polished route runner? Do they want the better athlete? Do they want the more you know higher upside? You know, com- you know, compared to you know maybe a floor. So it's going to be really interesting with those guys. We'll stay on the wide receivers for a few more minutes. T. Higgins, Jalen Rager, Henry Ruggs. Do you see the? upside I, I look at all of those guys and I also think they could be in the conversation of being top 50 picks or any of those guys that you like a little bit more uh than 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 someone else yeah well yeah you just hit on my next three and I think uh they're all outside my top 20 but I still think all three have a good chance of being first round picks T Higgins uh you know probably not the best wide receiver on his own team as Justin Ross who's only a true sophomore so not draft eligible but T. Higgins, you know, 6'3 and a half, 205 pounds, uh, has that leaner frame, kind of you know, the A.J. Green, Justin Hunter type of body build, but really like what he can do when the, bo- when the ball is up in the air. Uh, uses that length, uses that catch radius, uh, expand what he's able to do, go up and attack the football. Um, not the most uh, precise route runner, 
uh, you know, some of it needs to do a little bit better job after the catch. But overall, T. Higgins uh, can be a weapon uh, that'll be considered in the first round. Jalen Rager, I mean, really, the biggest thing you worry about is just the size. He's about 5'10", uh, but he has decent build on him. I love his ability to mix his gears and his routes. So he's able to set up defensive backs uh, at all levels of the field. He can be explosive. Remind me a little bit of Brandon Cooks in some way. And I think this overall, this wide receiver class reminds me of 2014 when we had Sammy Watkins and Mike Evans and Odell Beckham and Brandon Cooks. And, uh, you know, it's just a really talented group. Devontae Adams was in that group, Jarvis Landry. So uh, a lot of talented receivers. Henry Ruggs, and he he could end up being uh, one of the better wide receivers in this class. I think there's a most more room for fluctuation with, with, with Ruggs just because he is a burner. He has that speed that you really like and be special. It just can the rest catch up. Talking about his ability as a route runner and a finisher downfield, you love the competitive nature. You love the pure speed. Just need to turn into more consistency, but absolutely, he could be in that first round mix. Yeah, I mean, Ruggs is somebody that, you know, so explosive. And I, I love that you brought up Brandon Cooks when you were talking about uh, Jalen Rager, because when I talked about him, I said he was kind of like a cross between Brandon Cooks, Tyreek Hill. He could do some of those things that I think are unique and maybe, you know, kind of make us forget a little bit about those size, the size component with him. One other uh, wide receiver I want to bring up, and I'll, I'll mention his teammate as well. I served Donovan Peoples-Jones on your top 50. I'm really intrigued by him. A lot of upside and potential there. And his teammate, Tariq Black, another on Classman, I feel like we've been waiting for these guys to make the jump. Do you see? Do you think this is the year that maybe Donovan Peoples Jones does? And you think he's a clear step talent wise above his teammate Tariq Black? Clear, no. I mean, I think, and, and I throw another one in there, Nico Collins, uh, who's a junior wide receiver from Michigan, 6'3", 215 pounds. Uh, all three of these guys have size. They're all over six two. They're all built fairly well. They're all over two hundred ten pounds. And I expect all of them to run in kind of the, the mid-4-4s, the, the mid-4-5 range. Um, I, I think really we enter the season with those three wide receivers uh, in, at Michigan, Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, Nico Collins, kind of duking it out uh, to see who's going to be the top wide receiver of the mix. And, you know, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag up to this point, but so much of it is because of the offense uh, that Michigan runs, uh, the subpar quarterback play. Uh, and so I think all that factors into the uninspiring production that all three have put forth up to this point. But all three are immensely talented. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, is the most just uniquely talented. Now, can he stay healthy? Can he be reliable and put it all together on the field? Uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, he has enough raw talent that he made my top 50 to start the year. But at some point, you know, you need to show the production. And so I'm eager to track those three receivers from Michigan uh, this year, hopefully they get a more opportunities down the field. Yeah, absolutely. And actually one last wide receiver question. The Devi fantasy football community seems to have been very high over the last few years on Brian Edwards, the wide receiver out of South Carolina. And they also seem to be really high on Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota, someone you mentioned before. And then other people like Tony Pauline, people I respect, you know, he, he seems to be a little bit lower on Tyler Johnson, looks more of maybe like a, a later round prospect. Where do you kind of land on Brian Edwards and Tyler Johnson are those guys that you look at right now and think more day three, or do you think any of those guys could be in the top 100 mix? Yeah, I think they're in the top 100 mix to start the year, both Brian Edwards and Tyler Johnson. I think right now they're third rounders. Um, and you know, that's not a negative. That's not an insult to them. I think they're both are quality players. Um, Brian Edwards, he's a good size athlete. He's a powerful guy after the catch. Uh, you see a little bit of initial quickness, uh, but he's not a guy that's going to routinely uncover uh, at will. 
uh, needs to kind of hone his route running skills. And that was a, a big uh, reason why I think he came back to school. Just be more uh, more reliable in that area. Um, you know, be a more consistent, well-rounded player. But he's a guy that plays with power, plays with plays with some quickness at the top of routes. Love his play strength. Uh, you know, he crowded at catch points. Don't phase him. Um, and so for Jake Bentley, the quarterback of South Carolina, uh, big deal for Brian Edwards that he, that he came back this year. And um, I think he starts the year as kind of a third round pick. Now, could he elevate himself into the top 50? I, I think that's possible if he has the type of senior year that, you know, he's capable of. We'll have to see. And Tyler Johnson, you know, he's the thing with scouts, though, he's probably Tyler Johnson's probably going to run in the mid four fives, four, 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 five, four to four, five, seven, probably somewhere in that range. And it's just tough for teams to take a wide receiver that doesn't run a blazing 40-yard dash to take them, uh, you know, higher than the third round or so. And so for Tyler Johnson, uh, I think he's he's a very good route runner. I think he has reliable hands, uh, needs to do a little bit job, a better job over the middle of the field. Uh, sometimes you see him get alligator arms. You see him uh, start to, you know, look about his surroundings before he secures the catch. But with Tyler Johnson, there's a lot to like. And, you know, this senior wide receiver group, there's definitely a lot of uh, mixed opinions about uh, kind of the top five. But for me, Colin Johnson's the, the top senior going into the year, K.J. Hill, Tyler Johnson, Brian Edwards, and then Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. Those would be my top five senior wide receivers that we get the season started. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the breakdown there you did of Tyler Johnson. I know when I've been talking about him, I said, I kind of see a cross between Stanley Morgan Jr., who came out last year, that good route running, thought, I was, thought he was going to get drafted, or like a Robert Woods, like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the high and the low in terms of, you know, a NFL type comparison. So I, th- I think you did a good job kind of describing his game and what he's got to improve upon. If we stick to the pass catchers, but go to the tight ends for just a couple minutes, I saw your top two tight ends on your overall big board were Jared Pinckney out of Vanderbilt, and then Grand Calcaterra at Oklahoma. Stylistically, they could not be more different. So mm-hmm. what do you kind of see in their games? Any questions in Pinckney in terms of overall athleticism and separation quickness with the NFL looking for those big playmakers at the tight end position? And then in terms of Calcaterra, can he hold up at the next level or does he got to add at least 10, 15 pounds to his overall frame before he could even be considered a tight end? Yeah, and we... Calcaterra at the end of the day might be considered a wide receiver uh, because he is that kind of oversized wide out more so than a traditional inline tight end. And, you know, he, he's asked to block a little bit um, in that Oklahoma offense, but more downfield, more as a run blocker. You rarely see him lined up in line, pass protection, that type of thing. So there's definitely an evaluation or a, you have to make a projection with Calcaterra. Uh, he has the build or the the body frame that you like. You think he can add some uh, to his build at six four. He's only about two hundred and thirty pounds right now. So we'll see if he's able to add on weight uh, over the the next year or so. Uh, but he's he could be a dynamic uh, receiving threat down the field, and I think that's what you really like about him. That's why he did make by top fifty because what he can do down the seam, uh, what he can do, especially when he's matched up against a linebacker, matched up against a safety, uh, he can be a dangerous uh, da- dangerous target down the field. So, uh, but I, I think Jared Pinkney's a top guy, and I think with him, he doesn't have maybe that one exceptional trait. Like, there's, I don't think there's a, one thing that you said that blows you away. But he's very well rounded. You know, he's not a great athlete, but he's a g- really good athlete. He's not, uh, you know, a, a great blocker, but he's a pretty good blocker. You know, he just he's a very well rounded game. Uh, he's a veteran, a true veteran. He's a team leader. He's a type of guy that 
when he speaks up, everybody shuts up and listens. I mean, they're, they're, teams are going to love the intangibles that he brings. And then he's just, he's not going to hurt you on the football field. He's reliable. He's smart. He understands his assignment. And more often than not, more often than not, he executes. And so with Pinckney, again, probably not anything that blows you away like uh, TJ Hawkinson last year, uh, Noah Fant. You know, those guys had certain things about their game that really impressed you and, you know, could be a difference making trait. Pinckney doesn't necessarily have that. But it's his well-rounded game, I think, that really uh, is going to be an attractive quality for NFL teams. Yeah, we recently put out our tight end preview show, and I basically was describing it as we don't have that top-level Noah fan, TJ Hawkinson. I don't even know if there's an Irv Smith here, who I really mm-hmm. liked. But there's a lot of that next wave of the guys like in this year's draft class that were Dawson Knox, Cahill Warren, you know, Josh Oliver, uh, you know, those guys that went in that day two mix. I think there's a bunch of guys here that could be in that day two mix, maybe – one or two can kind of sneak into the back end of round one, even though it's a really strong class right now, it seems to be any other tight ends, no other tight ends, unless I miss were in your top 50, but anybody that you can see intriguing enough to push in there from either Colby Parkinson, Albert O from Missouri. I'm not going to butcher his name again, either the Bryant's Hunter Bryant from Washington or Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic. Yeah, no, and I think that I'm glad you asked that question because that, I think that sums up what this tight end class is. There's there's a few guys at the top, and then there's a lot of intriguing guys that I think we're going to see a lot of fluctuation based on how they perform this season. Um, you know, guys that are ready to break out. Um, I was a big fan of Mitchell Wilcox last year from South Florida. He's my number two senior. Um, you were right; only two tight ends made my top fifty. Uh, but Mitchell Wilcox to me has all the ingredients to develop into an NFL starter. So. He's my clear-cut number two uh, senior tight end. Uh, we'll see if he's able to kind of challenge for a spot in the top 50 when it's all said and done, or is he more of a, a top 100 guy, third, fourth round. Uh, but the underclassmen is where the intrigue comes. Um, I, I got some, a few guys that I really like that maybe aren't being talked about a ton right now, and it's really just because they need to show that they can do it more so than they have you know ha- have the, the production right now. Uh, Matt Bushman from BYU, 6'5", 245 pounds, moves really well, has the body control that you like for a tight end. And then Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin, only a redshirt sophomore, uh, but we saw him come on uh, last season, really impressive as a redshirt freshman. I'm eager to see what he can do this year uh, in that offense. You know, Wisconsin, they always produce tight ends. Uh, so I'm eager to see if uh, Jake Ferguson can take his game to the next level and really emerge, you know, kind of maybe not to the quite the level that TJ Hawkinson did, but you talk about those big 10 tight ends. Can Jake Ferguson be that guy this year as a redshirt sophomore kind of emerges as a breakout season and then translates that into a, a draft pick in the first two rounds. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of intrigue there at the tight end position. It's going to be fun to kind of see if anybody, you know, last year at this time, not a lot of people were talking about TJ Hawkinson as the possible top 10 pick. I think you were one of the first people that really started, you know, pushing the narrative of Hawkinson being a top NFL caliber prospect, you know, I think some point in the, in the fall. So it'll be interesting to see if any of these guys kind of emerge uh, into that, you know, mix uh, in the top, you know, first couple of rounds. So let's like to sit a running back position and then we'll end with just a couple quarterback questions. Seems to be a lot of intriguing options at the running back class. I think if you polled 10 different people, I think probably people's top would be a little bit different. I think there's a couple options at the top. Who kind of sits atop your running back board in terms of your favorite prospects when you broke them down? 
Well, last year, uh, last November, um, Zach Moss from Utah was my number two back uh, in, in the entire draft class behind just Josh Jacobs. And then he had the knee injury, um, was shut down for the season. He was ready to go pro, uh, but the knee injury really changed things. Comes back for a senior year. Is he going to be healthy? Uh, you know, is it going to be the same Zach Moss that we saw last year? Because the Zach Moss we saw last year uh, was worthy uh, of a spot in the top 50 picks. We'll see what he looks like this year because the talent, no question about it. But can he be durable, reliable, uh, and hold up? I, I'm, exci- I'm excited to see Utah in general. I, I really like a lot of the prospects they have on the defensive side of the ball. And then, of course, Zach Moss at running back. He's, to me, uh, the top senior as we go into the year. But, again, some questions about the durability there. Uh, it really, it's about all the, it's about the underclassmen. It's such a loaded group. Um, it starts with, for me, DeAndre Swift. Uh, he just has that natural, uncanny ability to make guys miss. It makes it look easy. Uh, and it's not just with his elusive feet, but it's also with his mind. He sets up his blocks. Um, he, he really sees the entire field, love the peripheral vision that he has. Um, so Swift, to me, the top back in this class can be a top 20 pick. After that, it, it's a little bit of, I, I, you know, show me something. And that's Travis Etienne, Jonathan Taylor, two guys that are extremely productive, uh, Etienne for Clemson, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. But can both guys show that they're more than, uh, you know, they can be do something in the passing game. They can hold up uh, as a blockers. Uh, so I, they just they're not asked to do that a ton in the offenses that they have. So um, I want to see those guys be proved to be more true three down backs before I, you know, before we call them locked first round picks. They have the talent, just need to see a little bit more from them. And then I'm a big Eno Benjamin fan from Arizona State. Um, seeing him last year, the contact balance is outstanding. Um, I really enjoyed uh, watching him just create something out of nothing whether it was using his balance or using his quick feet and his toughness. Um, and, and then after that, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of talented guys that you know, we're going to see some fluctuation in the rankings. Guys like J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State seemed to kind of take a little bit of a, a step back last year after his tremendous freshman year. He still had over 1,000 yards last year, but just wasn't at the same dominant level that he showed as a freshman. What does Dobbins look like this year? Uh, Cam Akers from Florida State, so much talent, just you know, needs to put it together to be a, a more productive running back. Najee Harris, that yeah, big Derrick Henry type of size, uh, you know, six one and a half, two hundred thirty two pounds. Uh, well, can he be proved? I know he was productive last year, but that was kind of as a three headed monster. Now, as the top back this year for Alabama, can uh, he still have that same type of production? And then, you know, we could go on and on with AJ Dillon from Boston College, uh, the Oklahoma kids, Kennedy Brooks. Um, and uh, Sermon. So, you know, we can go on and on about this running back class because it doesn't end there. I mean, it, we could really go uh, top 20 running backs and there's something we could say that really impresses us about each one of them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad when you mentioned Etienne and in particular Jonathan Taylor, you know, them showing their ability to maybe be a weapon in the receiving game because the conversation Matt and I have been having here a lot Saturday Sunday is we're surprised that people seem to have those guys penciled in near the top of their running back rankings and then AJ Dillon seems to as soon as his name is mentioned the receiving concerns seem to be very prevalent for Dillon but not prevalent at times for Ethan and Jonathan Taylor and Dillon I'm 
is, is a guy who's very explosive in terms of his own athleticism for a guy. I was actually surprised at just how athletic he was. And then he shows up on Bruce Feldman's freak list also. It, what is it about Dylan compared to Taylor of why you think there's the gap in perception on those two guys right now? Because I, at times I see very similarities in terms of overall athleticism and their the concerns in terms of their receiving abilities that we're trying to figure out maybe why the gap between people's opinions on them is as wide as, as it sometimes seems to be. And no, it's a good point. Both need to prove that they can be reliable pass catchers. Um, with Taylor, I just think he's the better athlete. Um, you know, I, Dylan, and eager to see what he's what his playing weight this is this year because he was around, uh, you know, two fifty uh, last year. Is he still is that his best weight? You know, can he get down to two thirty five, two forty, and you know maybe get a little more speed? Uh, you know, AJ Dillon's really, really talented. He's just not the same type of athlete that I think Jonathan Taylor is. Uh, but I, no, I think it's fair because both these guys, as, as productive as Taylor has been, and he's been immensely productive, uh, you know, he still needs to uh, show some uh, in areas that he's he's improved, and especially we mentioned the receiving ability, but also ball security. Uh, he has almost as many fumbles as he does catches over his career at Wisconsin. He has 12 fumbles the last two years, only 16 catches. So, you know, he need that to me, that's a big red flag. Hold on to the football and show that you can be a pass catcher. Now, part of that obviously is uh, the offense. You know, he can't catch passes if, you know, he doesn't, uh, if he's not targeted, but hopefully the Wisconsin offense will show a little bit more of that. Give him a chance to get out in space, show what he can do. Um, Because, you know, a lot of times you see with Wisconsin offense, is it the offensive line or is it the running back? Because we've seen a lot of productive running backs come through that system throughout the years. With Jonathan Taylor, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, the offensive line certainly is talented uh, with the guys they have up front, but Taylor or Taylor does a lot himself as well. So uh, eager to see Taylor this year. Can he be more of a well-rounded back? And same thing with A.J. Dillon over at Boston College. Absolutely. And, and less running back question, and then we'll move to the quarterbacks to close it out. Two guys that I seem to be, one guy I seem to be higher on than the consensus out there, and one guy I seem to be a little bit lower on. I want to hear your takes. The first one is the guy I seem to be higher on, and that's Anthony McFarlane out of Maryland. I see a lot of Darrell Henderson in, in this guy in terms of his burst, acceleration, his game-breaking ability. So I'd love to hear your takes on Anthony McFarland out of Maryland. And then Kylan Hill out of Mississippi State. I think some some people seem to be really high on him, think he could be like a you know top 100 guy or, or even maybe a top 50 guy. I, I have him a little bit lower on my rankings, and I like his ability to catch the ball and play on all three downs, but I'm not sure if he has a calling card that makes him really intriguing in the, in the top 50 or top 100. Any thoughts on McFarlane or Hill? And McFarlane's actually a top five back for me um, to enter the year, so I'm right there with you. Uh, I mean, try watching that Ohio State game and not get excited about Anthony McFarlane, what he can do. Yeah, I think your comparison makes sense. Uh, you know, he kind of is in that size mold with uh, he's about five eight, two hundred pounds. Um, but yeah, against the Buckeyes, almost three hundred yards. He he broke off an eighty yarder, a seventy five yarder, a fifty yarder. Um, it just he's able to dart through the, those creases and then use his feet to just scamper away from everybody. He, he's a he's a daylight runner and he has that controlled burst where he can make things happen. The biggest thing for him is just. It's, it's just see it more, you know, it's let's see that what you did against Ohio state. Okay. Let's see that week in week out uh, more consistently this year. And again, you know, part of that's just workload and, you know, Maryland needs to give him the rock, but 
I think he's capable of it. And if he shows to be more consistent from a week in week out perspective, uh, we're going to see Anthony McFarland live up to, uh, you know, being a top five back in this class. Uh, and with Callen Hill, you know, first of all, hopefully he stays healthy this year. Um, you know, he's talk about this talented underclassmen. There's a lot of them. And, Right now, I think Kylan Hill is on the cusp of being a top 10 underclassman uh, running back in this class. There's just so many good ones. Um, but can he stay healthy? Uh, 5'10", 215 pounds, uh, plays with good play speed, uh, the toughness I really like. I feel like he's a really competitive kid. I just I want to see him be a little more patient, be a little more disciplined with his reads, uh, understanding uh, you know the – Maybe the leap. It's great that he's tough and he attacks, but I want to see maybe the least uh, path of resistance in terms of uh, you know keeping himself a little more uh, you know not taking those hard hits and staying healthy and uh, it, just being a little more patient and uh, being smarter with the football. So uh, we you know we talk about decision making for a quarterback a ton. We don't talk enough about decision making for a running back, and so I think for Kylan Hill, that's a, it's just an area where he can tweak a little bit and get better. Yeah, absolutely. So great, great thoughts on that. Let's close out with the quarterbacks tonight. Right at the top, Tua, Justin Herbert, they seem to be the consensus one, two. I guess, you know, we, we talked about at length about these guys because I feel like, you know, they're two players that we've been talking about, you know, for years now. Do you see both of them as being top five, top 10 guys? Is that something that you feel pretty confident that unless something drastic happens this year, those guys are pretty much locked into somewhere in the, in the top five or top 10 of next year's draft? I wouldn't say locked, but if the draft were, were to happen tomorrow, both would go in the top five to seven picks. I feel very confident about that. Uh, Justin Herbert would have been a top 10 pick if he had declared after last season. I feel very confident about that. But coming back for a senior year, we know he's going to get nitpicked. And it's just about progression for him. He needs to show a trajectory that is climbing and, you know, not plateaued or just leveled out. He needs to show that this immense toolbox that he has, uh, he's able to translate that into football production. He needs to translate that into playmaking plays. Uh, Can he do that this year? And it starts in its season opener against an SEC defense uh, at a neutral field against Auburn. If Justin Herbert bombs against Auburn, does not have a good season opening game, he has the rest of the season to make up for it, but people are going to point to that game and say, well, look what happened against an SEC quality defense. Uh, Oregon has a great offensive line, but Auburn has a pretty good defensive line, starting with Derek Brown in the middle at nose tackle. So uh, for Justin Herbert, it's a lot of, okay, we know you have the the traits, the tools. Now let's see you translate that into uh, legitimate football uh, production, moving the sticks, putting points on the board, uh, just showing that he can uh, make big plays in big situations. So uh, a lot for Justin Herbert to prove this year, just to make sure that he is a top 10 pick. Uh, and Tua, for him, take off the cape, you know, take away some of those Superman plays, stay healthy, and I think he'll be the first quarterback drafted. He His instinctive qualities that he has, uh, really impressive. Uh, he's not the biggest. He's about six foot. Uh, but he's not small because he's built. He's about 225, 230 pounds, a uh, decent athlete. He's mobile and just creates plays. That anticipation, the accuracy, that's stuff that's just natural, and, and it shows all over his tape. Um, does he benefit from the supporting cast? No doubt. But, you know, for Tua, what he's able to show uh, on a you know week-in, week-out basis against tough SEC defenses, that's what makes him, to me, the favorite to be quarterback one entering the season. 
Yeah, and in the past, maybe his size would have been talked about more, but I think with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray the last two right. years, that's that's went by the wayside. So that's not going to be something that that's talked about. About three weeks ago, Matt and I did our quarterback preview show, and we thought we were going to be significantly higher in the media and the market on Jordan Love. But over the last few weeks, that has not been the case with I forget what it was, maybe an NFL scout saying he has some Patrick Mahomes-like skills. You having him as high as you had him on your overall big board. What is it about Jordan Love that really has people so intrigued that they're putting him up there and 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 putting some of these expectations on him and he's not flying under the radar anymore? Well, he just he has a lot of traits that you look for in a quarterback position. And yeah, when I did my quarterback preview, uh, this is back in late July. Um, I, I included a, a quote from a scout that called him uh, Mahomes-like uh, because he has that skill set where it just everything is loose. Everything is just uh, – he looks like he's an athlete out there making plays. Right? He's a good-sized kid, 6'3", 225 pounds, has an effortless uh, release. The ball jumps off his hand, unforced delivery. Um, it's just more – for him this year, it's going to be a little tough because he has a brand-new coaching staff. He has a brand-new supporting cast. Uh, only the left tackle uh, returns from that offense. So he loses a lot of uh, so just the comfort level and what he had around him last year. So there's a lot, there's a lot of challenges in Jordan Love's way. But just the raw traits, the, the raw skills, it is hard not to get excited about him. And uh, when he goes to Baton Rouge in early October, face LSU, uh, it, it could be a bloodbath. Uh, just because Utah State, again, they are – they're a quality team, but they lost a lot from last year, including the coaching staff. And Baton Rouge is not an easy place to play. But if Jordan Love is able to hold his own and, and it's it, forget the box score, whatever the box score says, scouts are going to be focused on his poise, his determination, his communication skills. How does he uh, just handle himself in that type of environment? That'll be the test for Jordan Love more so than you know what his completion percentage is. Um, just because they understand uh, the supporting cast and the challenge that it is to play against an LSU defense. But how does he handle himself? Because that's what it's going to be like in the NFL week in, week out. Uh, that'll be a big test for him. Uh, he came in uh, at number 10 overall on my uh, top 50, initial top 50 list. And so I, I realize that's saying a lot, saying that right now he's a top 10 pick. But he has the raw traits that uh, says that he can live up to that. Now what we have to do is uh, see if he can play like that this season. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said, forget about the box scores. And I, and I think, I think that start, that narrative is starting to go by the wayside. The last two years, Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, I don't think the NFL, you know, and, and stuff is looking so much at the box scores because their box scores really didn't stand out in any, you know, way that was very, you know, endearing to them. And, and they still went obviously both in the top 10. One or two final questions here to end the, the, the pod. Jake Fromm, what does he have to do this year? And maybe, maybe it's impossible. Does he, what can he do to maybe get away from the narrative that I think is going to be good game manager, but can he do more? Or is that this, that connotation sometimes has a negative meaning? I don't think it always should, but can Fromm do anything to kind of get away from that narrative, which I think is going to kind of stay with him maybe in the pre-draft process? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think Jake Fromm just, he is what he is. And that's not a bad thing. You know, it's okay that he, uh, you know, he's a very accurate quarterback. He's a very smart quarterback. It's so easy to like Jake Fromm, both as a person and a quarterback, because again, he puts the football on his target. Uh, he's able to anticipate, he's able to uh, manage a pocket. Uh, the intangibles are off the charts. 
he's just not going to be for everybody because he doesn't have the big time arm. He doesn't have the size that you look for. He's a good athlete, but not a great athlete. And so because the physical tools are more average than they are good, uh, even so that's, that's going to bother some teams. And I think, you know, for an offense uh, or an NFL team that runs a West coast offense, uh, you know, he'll be a little more appealing. Uh, but because he doesn't have, the big time arm he has to be perfect and a lot of times he, he was i mean watching him in the sec title game against that alabama defense uh he, he was precise i mean he, he carved them up and if he's able to do that again this year take another step in his development you know it's it's gonna be hard for him for a team not to take him in the first round but again he's just not gonna be for everybody because of uh he just lacks the the physical tools that a lot of teams look for uh, he's going to be all over the place. Some teams are really going to like him. Some teams are not even going to consider him because he doesn't fit what they're looking for. And that's okay. Uh, you know, Jake Fromm is what he is and he's a very accurate quarterback and there's something to be said for that. Uh, he just, and he, he will be an NFL starter. I feel very confident saying that he just won't be for everybody, but again, that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And final question tonight, if there is another quarterback that emerges and maybe is in the mix, either as a late round one or, you know, early part of round two, the easy answer or the the consensus that's out there is that it could be Jacob Eason, who former Jake Fromm teammate who went transferred to Washington. But if it's not him, is there anybody else that you think could emerge this year, whether it's a KJ Costello at a Stanford, a Sam Ellinger at a Texas, Shea Patterson maybe lives up to his potential at Michigan, Nate Stanley at Iowa, Anthony Russo. So with Temple, I know has some fans out there. Is there anybody else out there that maybe with a strong gear, you can you would say this would be the guy that I can see pushing up there, or is the easy answer just Jacob Eason? It's hard to say Eason right now, just because we we don't have the sample size to say it. You know, he, you know, he's a top high school recruit. He he did you know some nice things in his very limited time at Georgia, but you know until we see anything from Eason this year, um, I, I just he's kind of a wait and see player. For me, it's it's KJ Costello and Nate Stanley. Costello, if there's a Daniel Jones in this class, I think it's KJ Costello. And what I mean by that is he is going to blow teams away with his demeanor, his uh, character, the intangibles. Uh, that that's and that's for a, b- a big reason why Daniel Jones went as high as he did because of the way he carried himself. Because he's a cerebral passer, very smart, intelligent, and KJ Costello is cut from the same cloth. Uh, and that's really going to uh, make waves when during the interview process, you know, when they put them on the whiteboard. So for KJ Costello, I, it's might not going to have it kind of like Daniel Jones, not going to have necessarily the tape that blows you away. The Stanford might be, you, you know, uh, a, an eight, nine win team this year, not, uh, not going to be a, maybe might be a playoff team, but for KJ Costello, it's just about impressing scouts. And I think during the interview process, He's certainly going to do that. Nate Stanley, 6'4", 245 pounds, moves well, has a strong arm. Um, he, for him, it's just consistency from uh, you know from game to game. One game, he'll look like a future early-round pick. The next, he'll look like he maybe not uh, should, shouldn't be drafted. So for Nate Stanley, it's just can you be consistent? If he puts any type of consistency on the tape this year, uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if Nate Stanley ends up being somewhere in the top 60 mix and a guy that's trying to break into the first round because he has the physical tools. Uh, the coaches talk very highly about him and the way he carries himself and his mental uh, capacity. And so uh, it just can you, from a consistency standpoint, can he put it all together as a senior? If he does, he's going to be a big riser. 
Yeah, I love that you brought up Costello and Stanley, two guys I think are very intriguing. And one final real quick, with the emergence of Kyler Murray last year and you know defying the, the size and frame components, is there a world that Derek King out of Houston could now be looked at as a draftable prospect? Maybe not round one or round two or round three, but could he be a guy that maybe in the past wouldn't even have been considered by the NFL, but maybe now has a shot to be a, a fourth round or fifth round guy? I think it's certainly fair uh, to point out that teams are more open-minded right now about, um, you know, size and all that. But, I mean, we've seen guys like this before, whether it's an Antoine Randall or, you know, it, undersized quarterbacks who don't might not fit necessarily the mold that you're looking for, maybe transition to a different position and uh, but still help out a quarterback from time to time and things like that. So, I you know, right now I know some teams – graded him as a wide receiver not a quarterback and so it's just something that uh we'll have to kind of wait and see this year i mean he he put some good tape on last year no question but he is very very small and it's just that's going to be a deal breaker for a lot of teams unless you're truly special like kyler murray was um it's just we're not going to see teams take a chance on a guy like that but you know maybe you draft him as an athlete um and it'll be interesting to see when he goes to an all-star game um, I don't know if he'll make the senior bowl, but if not the shrine game or NFLPA, uh, you know, is he going to be dead set on being a quarterback or is he going to be open to running routes and uh, showing what he can do, uh, you know, maybe down the field or even as a running back. So, um, you know, it, what's his mindset right now? Is he a quarterback or bust as a, as a future uh, NFL player? Or is he open-minded teams are going to hope he's open-minded because they want options. Uh, maybe they keep him at quarterback, but they at least want to see him, uh, you know, what is, what is his plan B if uh, he's not able to you know, carve out a role as a passer, you know, can he transition to a different position? Um, you know, we saw that from a lot of guys over the years and uh, with his size, there's a good chance that King might have to make the same transition. Absolutely. All fair points. Going to be interesting to see if he gets invited to one of those. And if, you know, he potentially, you know, dabbles at another position. Dane, thank you so much for, for your time. This was an absolute blast breaking down all these prospects. Hopefully, you know, before the 2020 draft, we can get you back on after the season to kind of talk about these guys again, you know, and how much probably changes between now and then is, is a little mind boggling at times. Please let the audience know, uh, you know, what you're working on and where they can find all your work. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, it's the uh, best way to find my work is uh, on Twitter at DP Brugler. Um, all my stuff's over at The Athletic. Uh, just finished up uh, position by position previews, my first top 50 board of the year, um, working on a few things. And with the season getting going, uh, you know, eager to do a lot of, you know, wrap up stuff, uh, previewing the weekend, the prospects to watch, bringing back Meet the Prospect this year. We're, you know, breaking down. Uh, do an interview and do a breakdown of uh, maybe some under the radar players uh, around the country. Uh, so a lot on tap, and I'm excited to get going. This is it's gonna be fun to actually scout, uh, you know, football in the field uh, this season instead of trying to look back at last year. So excited to get going. Absolutely, guys. And if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you need to be. It is the best content that you can find out there. It is the best investment and well worth uh, you purchasing a subscription to. So make sure you get over to The Athletic uh, and you get that so you can check out all of Dane's great work and make sure you're following him on Twitter. So on behalf of Dane, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.